0: Welcome back to the pod, everybody. Jerry and Josh riding a duo, not solo, but duo today. Matt is, uh, is busy, so we're going to go ahead and take BEL off his hands for him. Uh, we'll be having Brent Freeman from Texas State Bobcats on to visit with us. Uh, So thanks for joining. Hope you guys enjoyed the pod yesterday. That was a whole lot of fun. Always fun to talk about new conference, new conference mates, what's in the future for the Sunbelt Conference. But uh, uh, we're going to preview the game. And obviously with the interview with Brant, we'll we'll dig into the nitty gritty of the Bobcats and their season. Uh, But first, Jerry, how will you be spending your homecoming Saturday?
1: Honestly, man, I, I'm going to be doing like I always do. It's a tradition um, each year where we basically will, because they've moved the time, we usually go to the alumni house. Um, Kayla and her sorority sisters, who are, of course, we're all alumni now, she uh, meets with her friends and their husbands. And, um, you know, we, we go and she goes and, well, we get our, we get our mimosas, get some breakfast. Uh, she obviously can't get mimosas this time because uh, she is pregnant, but um, really that's what we used to do. And then we go watch the parade. Of course they go crazy when the tri Sigma float passes by and uh, get to see the band and the homecoming court and see all the different local celebrities. And then afterwards we, what we would do is we'd go to um, twins and get a burger at twins and then head over to the tailgate. Um, but this year, Um, we're going to go straight to Cajun Field because that's where the parade's going to be and uh, probably hang out by the alumni tent for a little while, catch the parade. Yeah, the weather should be perfect for for some good solid fall football weather and uh, go tent hop a little bit, go say hello to some of our friends and head over to the stadium for the 11 o'clock kickoff and watch the Cajuns get win number seven.
0: You know, you forget how long Twins has been there. I was getting ready to ask you, was it there when you guys were in school? Doesn't feel like it's been there that long, man.
1: I don't, I don't know. I I haven't, you know, I really didn't start going there until after I graduated. So I'm not really sure, but all I know is, you know, not to play favorites, but they have to have, in my opinion, one of the best burgers in town. So um, I I always, we always enjoy grabbing food there before going to uh, the homecoming game. Um, And because it's at four, it was usually at four o'clock. it would be perfect timing just to get enough, enough tailgate time in, but this time it's going to be a little bit different, but we're still going to make the best of it and, should be a good time.
0: Yeah, maybe the Twins can open up with coffee and beignets or something.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because they'll have breakfast. to in order
0: to get a good crowd. But, exactly. because, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. In a previous episode and and on social, I, I kind of made some comments about, you know, wondering how much pull Brian Maggard and, and maybe even the administration as a whole had on the time change um, from 4 to 11. And I've, I've since got some clarity. Sounds like after – the Sunbelt kind of renegotiated that TV deal and restructured it post Scott Farmer or on the back end of Scott Farmer Um, not having the exclusivity for our rights really hurt us in that regard. They were able to move the, the the time, you know, kind of Brian did push back, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I wanted to go on record to let everybody know that I was questioning it. You guys know that that's what I do. I, I ask questions and I think that, that, people need to know that the, the truth behind things that happen within the, the administration and, and how our team is, you know, get the decisions that are made for our, for our football team. So just want to let everybody know Brian did push back from what I've been told. Uh, and basically the conference in ESPN, you said, Never mind, uh, It doesn't matter what you think. We're going to go ahead and move. It doesn't matter that you invested all this money and all this time into planning your homecoming. Um, we want to put you on TV. So, That is, that's something that I needed to say. I thought that was important to say. And so, Brian, if you're listening, sorry about that. You know me, got to ask the question. Um, But one thing I also want to say is that everybody, if you don't know about it already, uh, the Hall of Fame induction Friday is open to the public. Uh, Pretty sure they open the doors at six. You can go into the Teague and sit in the grandstands. They're going to put the uh, ceremony on the big screen out in left field. Uh, so you can't necessarily go inside of the, the club, uh, the, the suite up there. Uh, what's it called? I always forget.
1: Oh, the, the, the club level.
0: Club level, but they have, a, yeah. they have a, a neat little special name for it. I always forget. Anyway, you'll be able to be in attendance. You can watch the ceremony, and then you'll be able to interact with everybody after it's over. Uh, it should last about 30 minutes, 45 minutes. So just wanted to kind of relay that. I didn't know how many people out there knew about that. I will be there. Uh, I know a few others will be there too. bring the kids. Uh, there are, the concessions will be open, have a beer, have a dog, all that stuff. So something worth mentioning some legends, obviously, uh, from Louisiana raging Cajuns athletics history are going in Phil DV Brickneck, obviously robe, Paul Baco. Um, I, I think that's the four. There may be one more yeah. that I'm forgetting. Um, but anyway, just again, that's something that's coming up in the next few days. It needs to be it needs to be well attended if you guys are able.
1: Yeah, very happy for all four. Um, of course, we know Phil's a friend of the pod. Um, you know his 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 time at UL was outstanding as a pitcher. Um, some of our best years in baseball came under his leadership on the mound. Uh, of course, Ashley and I are the same age. Um, she we had a few classes together uh, at UL. Uh, became I become, you know. Friends with her in many ways. Uh, her husband Blake actually and I were equipment managers together, so I, I know Blake really well. Went to um, high school Blake. with
0: uh, Mr. Domek over there.
1: No, yeah, you So you know Blake too. Yeah, That's right. No. That's right. And yeah.
0: now, by Uh-oh. the way, also also Doctor Ashley Brickneck.
1: Yeah, how like I tell Blake every time I see him, like, I don't know how you pulled that off, but well done, my friend. Well done. Uh, <laughs> and, and for those listening, Josh and I know Blake really well. So uh, no no hard feelings. We're just joking with him. But no, congratulations to Ashley. Of course, Paul Baco and his colorful pro career speaks for itself. Um, Play for the Cubs one year, your team, man. Um, and then uh, played for the Astros as well, my team. So he, I think he's played for all of our favorite teams. He was a traveling man, but a long career, very successful career.
0: Yeah, something about Cajun catchers, you know, they make their way around. They like <laughs> to sample all of what Major League Baseball has to offer, you know.
1: Nothing wrong with that, man. And then of course, uh, I mean, what what could be said about Tony Robichaux? Um, no question. I mean, is that even? I mean, we really do. We need need we say more? Um, congratulations to Robe uh, and and his. Obviously, he, I mean. He'll always be a legend. There's a reason why there's a statue in front of him, um, in front of uh, in front of Russo Park. So, job well done to to to, to Robe and, and every again everybody and in, in, uh, inducted all well deserved and uh, congratulations to to each of, of them. And uh, it's gonna be really really great ceremony Friday night.
0: Will be and you know another friend of the pod Jay Walker will be the MC for that. So that'll be fun. He always is a great perfect. Doc. Yeah. oh It it really is perfect. And, and, you know, it's funny how many still to this day, how many conversations that I'll be having, but with perfect strangers and a a robe story will come up, you know, it's just, it's crazy. You know, big cat's teacher, he's at the EC lab. And, uh, I was speaking with her this morning and she said, Oh, so Tony, and then, you know, went into a, a story about robe, you know, making impact on people's lives, even, even posthumously. So, you know, Uh, Great, great and well-deserved for all four involved. Uh, Ashley Brickknife, for for my money, if you put together uh, the fact that she was a 4.0 student and beyond, tutored over 100 plus student athletes, is a doctor, and had probably the greatest uh, female season in the history of our program. Um, (laughs) I mean, there's not much more you can say about her. You know, maybe she slipped up with Blake. Outside of that, she's probably like ninety-nine out of 100 hundred big decision making in her lifetime.
1: I was I was about to say that, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Blake definitely uh, he he definitely hit the jackpot with her. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I, I I look my I, again. You know, you and I both know Blake. We have mutual friends, so again, we we I we can give him a hard time. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, but
1: they're but they're all good people though. Blake's Blake's good people.
0: Yeah, before we get to Brent, I got a few things I want to touch on. Um, you know, you guys, we always try to bring you Cajuns in the NFL updates. How about Eli Mitchell on, uh, what was that, Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football? Yeah.
1: Great. <laughs> what an outstanding Prontine. performance. Now,
0: now we really need to sit him down and have a conversation with him about the Louisiana Lafayette thing. That was unexpected. <laughs> so that is definitely yeah. something that we need to tutor him on. I've already got Shane Vallow on it, but uh, he had a hell of a game. You know, in the, I think within the first drive, he had five carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown uh, in a very sloppy, wet game in, in San Francisco. Shout out to him. Ended up with over 100 yards. Uh, he is really making an impact on the 49ers, and I think he's got a job for a long time to come. Speaking of that, Tracy Walker, another great game. Eight tackles, four solo, pass defense. Just continues to have a great career. Uh, Robert Hunt and Big Dot still playing well on the offensive line for the Miami Dolphins and the Steelers you know what can you really say those guys were pros we knew it when they were sophomores so shout out to them juice still on the cowboys hanging on to a roster spot that's not easy to do so big shout out to hamilton and christian ringo probably had his best game as a saint uh, in a very very uh, bare knuckles game against seattle on uh, what was that two nights ago so yeah. Christian really made an impact on the game. It's good to see him. It seems like he's found a role on that team, and he really continues to impact the game, uh, getting better and better. So w- what a story, man. How many years did he toil and, and go from practice squad to practice squad? And it's just – it's great to see guys that we had relationships with back five, six years ago stick and stay in the NFL and, you know, be able to provide and live out their dream.
1: And also, too, he just never gave up. I mean, it's been, what, seven years since he, he wore a Cajun uniform and was sort of hopping from one team to another and he would get a few breaks here and there, then get cut and released. And now it's so fitting for us because he's doing it for the saints. Um, And he's really made an impact in that interior defensive line. I mean, look that Dennis Allen defense, you know, we talk about saints offense all the time, but man, since Dennis Allen has been the defensive coordinator, he's been able to rotate players in and out. And, and I think, I think Ringo fits that system. Um, And so it's been a lot of fun to watch. I, I noticed he got hurt the other day, went right back in, finished the job, really didn't allow Seattle to do much at their place in the rain. So yeah, I mean, look, as a Saints fan, I mean, we're look, we're all Saints fans here at the pod, but to see Ringo in and in wearing the black and gold and doing what he's doing, couldn't be any happier for such a great, a great guy. And um, no, and, and that goes for everybody, everybody in the NFL right now, they're all, all uh, holding up the raging Cajun brand in a very positive way. So well done to everybody uh, in the league right now.
0: Agreed 100%. And it, it's, it's always a little bit extra special when, you know, they go from Lafayette to New Orleans and that fleur de and that, that iconic helmet. And you see your guy wearing yeah. it and contributing, Absolutely. you know, like, you know, Ringo does what he does. He eats up blocks and he makes big plays when he needs to. I mean, I think he's really carved out a role for himself, and that's great, you know. Uh, just to go back a little bit, Deuce, you know, almost making the roster was very exciting that was one hell of a story, and there there have been others. You know, Jake had a, a spot at, uh, in New Orleans for a while, and there's just there's been a couple of of guys that came out of our program that went and made an impact with the Saints, and it's always just a little bit cooler when they go play for the Saints, right? I mean,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I remember Keno Hills uh, when he played oh, with yeah. Jake, offensive lineman. Yeah, he I played do. for the Saints for a few years, um, and even. It just anybody locally, you know, even even in even if guys from Magnese, like Buford Jordan was a big time guy from Magnese back in the 80s, uh Bobby Abear from Northwestern State, you know, any local guy who puts on that Saints uniform, you know, it's it's a cool thing to see.
0: For sure. Uh, real quick, let's debate something real quick. Uh this is going yeah. it's going around Twitter, and I made a comment in the in the description when we posted the pod this morning. I got a little bit of feedback. You know, basically I said we're welcoming these new programs into the Sunbelt Conference, the new P6. Uh, you know, hey, look, Ooh. shots fired. Look, I'm you know, I'm not scared to say what I think. <laughs> so I guess it kind of, it, it spurred the thought of the only, right now for me, and, and we're projecting ahead with all the new conferences and the way they look, it's Mountain West Conference and the Sunbelt Conference. What do you think about that positioning? Do you, and do you think the Sunbelt is rivaling the Mountain West Conference. At the end of the day,
1: I think what helps the Mountain West Conference is really they're the only G five conference out west, so there's really no competition. I mean that that's there. It's almost like they're autonomous, and and it's a monopoly out there as far as the G five conference goes. Whereas for us, you know, we've got conference. We, we mingle with Conference USA. We mingle with the American, uh, the Mac's kind of in their own little vicinity. But then you look at the teams in the East, like App State and. And, and, and now Marshall and Old Dominion and James Madison, they're in that little cul-de-sac with, with the Mac. So really, you're sort of mingling with, um, with all these different conferences. I'm trying to think. So yeah, us, it's the Sunbelt Conference USA, the American, the Mac. Yeah, I mean, they're all kind of mingling with one another. The Mountain West doesn't have that. You know, They're kind of by themselves. They kind of do their own thing. And so they don't really have like recruiting competition, right? So like it's either you go to the Pac-12 Or you just, you go to the Mountain West um, if you're out in Arizona or Nevada or Oregon. Um, So yeah, it's a good question, man, because their brand of football is different too. If you remember when the Cajuns played them in the New Orleans Bowl, two out of the four years, they played Nevada one year and they played San Diego State. And it's a different brand of football. Um, I think they've done a good job maintaining their brand because it's been so solidified. You haven't really seen many teams outside of that whack. Um, when the WAC disbanded, you saw a few of the teams go to the Mountain West. But for the most part, they've been able to stay – they've been stable. So that's kind of helped them a little bit. But also, too, man, like, again, I don't think it, it – I don't think people, as many people talk about this. The Sunbelt Conference is competing, again, with the distractions of the four other G5s in their back in our own backyard. So the fact that we can do that against a conference that's kind of by itself is huge. Now, do I think the Sunbelt passes up the Mountain West? That that might, that depends. I mean, look right now, three teams in the top 35, you add in Marshall and Southern Miss, they come back. And if James Madison follows the app model, they can maybe sneak into the top 35 in the next five years. Maybe, maybe if things keep staying the way they are and those, those new additions do their thing. Yeah. It's a possibility. Um, But then the next question is what does, what does the American do? Does UAB continue success? Does Memphis, if they stay, do they continue success? What about, I don't know, um, FAU? You know we, They've had recent success under Lane Kiffin, but can they, uh, can they, they recruit? They had know?
0: Lane Kiffin, and I'll leave it at that. Right,
1: aside. right. But, but it, they, they also won with Schnellenberger, too. So the question is, does the American elevate itself in spite of losing Cincinnati, Houston, and, and UCF? I, I don't know. But I will say that the Sun Belt positions itself as far as uh, room for growth. They, they're in the best position possible to, to, ha- to achieve the most growth, I guess, if that makes any sense, to, to be that, that perennial G5 conference.
0: I agree that the ceiling is the highest for the Sunbelt Conference. Absolutely.
1: I'll Absolutely. say this.
0: You make a good point about the competition on the eastern side of the Mississippi as opposed to the western. Now, also, the recruiting bases are better, and uh, it's less populated on the west outside of California. So yeah, I'll agree with that. That, that kind of levels it out. But but this is what I think. I think that both leagues are top-heavy. I think your Boise State, your San Diego State, maybe even I would put Utah State up there right now, um, and to, in some years, San Jose. You know, I think that those teams are are just as good, if not better, than Louisiana Coastal, App State, and maybe South Al next year, the next, something like that. I think where the Mountain West – ultimately gets us. And when I say us, I mean, the Sunbelt is their floor is a lot higher. You know, your Colorado Absolutely. state is a, is a good program. They're always valuable basketball, especially um, Nevada, Nevada is always kind of in that mix. You know, we can't say the same for a Troy. We can't say the same for a Texas state. Those teams have high highs and low lows. You know, I think that and even Georgia Southern, I guess I would, I would stack in the middle. Uh, because they have seen some down years recently. I think the Mountain West Conference, I think their, their floor is higher than ours. I agree with your point about the AAC. I fully expect them to improve. I mean, look, they still have some viable brands as of now. It's, if SMU jumps ship and Memphis jumps ship like we expect, I think their road is a lot longer than ours. Mm-hmm. And I think the Mountain West Conference becomes even more of a threat because they're going to start pillaging. I mean, look. North Texas is a joke for the AAC. Sorry. I'm just sorry. To me, the AAC bandaged the Dallas Metroplex with North Texas because they knew they were going to lose SMU. And I think that that is a major story that nobody talks about. Absolutely.
1: They're right down the road from each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I still think Sunbelt has a much higher ceiling. I think that the Mountain West Conference has a much higher floor and it'll be fun to see how that kind of shakes out going forward. Um, I mean, I'm,
1: I'm looking at the Mountain West right now. You look at teams, uh, let's see, Utah State, Colorado State, Air Force, Boise State, Wyoming, San Diego. Air Force is usually a player as well, yeah. Nevada. I I only name the teams that have been – I've seen ranked in the past 20 or so years. Hawaii, right? Hawaii went to the Sugar Bowl with the late Colt Brennan that one year. That's true. The only team that really hasn't been consistent is UNLV. Everybody else – yeah. I mean, even New Mexico. But 20 years ago, New Mexico wasn't a bad team. Sure. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the conference and every team has smelled success one way or another. Look, Fresno state beat UCLA. The what a week or two after UCLA beat LSU.
0: Well, Fresno has um, been a player the last two, three years. I think that when you look yeah. at historical success right now, I think you got to use five-year increments as opposed to maybe 20 years ago, you would look at 10 to 20 years. I think mm-hmm. that things move so much faster now. Uh, and And I mean, just look at the last few years, look at us. I mean, when Billy Napier got here, yes, we had tasted success, but we were on a three-year da- decline. Right. Billy has made us so viable that people kind of forget about that. And that's now, how important a five-year window is.
1: I look at this. I look at the, the Mountain West Conference. There's not a single team on here that I say we couldn't beat. 100%. I, I mean, that, that's – yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't see a single team. I don't really see a team in the – maybe outside of Cincinnati Maybe. In the g5 that the cajuns couldn't beat
0: no I, I don't either
1: i mean yes but but as far as mountain west goes i mean look they're a really good basketball conference too really good
0: that's a, that's another really good point. Good and when you talk conference. about conferences you gotta you gotta remember basketball basketball in in that conference has perennial teams or t- teams that are perennially in say the top 30 to 60 teams agreed now, it's like the entire conference is bunched up right there the, the sunbelt conference is in the, the bottom 200 that's nah, and, and yeah. where we really need to make up ground is basketball. But anyway, we'll get more into that as the weeks progress, uh, you know, because we got a ODU was made, I, I guess, official today, but we still have Marshall and we, we still got to wait for JMU to be made official. So moving on from that, we'll touch on the game briefly before we bring on Brant, Jerry, I see this game as Napier is going to be not conservative, but he's going to go to bread and butter. We're going to run the football. We're not going to take a lot of chances. My only, issue is that we tend to have problems with a mobile quarterback while McBride can beat you in areas. uh, He's prone to make mistakes. He'll throw it to the other guy. He will, you know, make decisions that really don't make sense. A lot of that comes from (laughs) not starting a lot of games. He's also kind of an injury problem. Uh, What do you see coming on Saturday?
1: Well, one thing about Texas state's defense is that they've been giving up 400, 422 yards a game. Um, I think that works into the wheelhouse of the Cajun offense. I also see that, like you talked about, McBride, his quarterback rating is a 35.2. He's thrown 12 touchdowns, but he's thrown also 10 interceptions. Um, Very mobile, takes chances. I think, like you said, that can get him in trouble, especially with our defense. Our defense is playing pretty well for the most part. Um, Like A a dual-threat quarterback is a little dangerous, but when you throw 10 interceptions, he is going to probably take some chances, and I think our defense can capitalize on that. And I know Patrick Tony probably took note of that when he was looking at the film. Uh, so our offense, I think our defense is going to give our offense a lot of a ton of opportunities. Um, I think this is one of those games, like you said, Billy's going to go to the bread and butter. I think we're going to stay balanced. Our passing game, I would like to see improve. Um, look, we had a really great passing game against App State last week. I thought we took two steps back. Um, no, you know, look, we we I think we completed one, one pass vertically. And that was to Dante Fleming on that touchdown drive. Everything else were bubble screens. You, look, we're getting into a tough stretch now, granted on paper, we're a better team than pretty much everybody we're going to face, but y- you still want to get better. And I think in the passing game, we need to get better. I think this is a defense that, that we can throw on. And I think this is one of those games just like App where the offensive line, look, they're going to, we're going to run the ball. I expect us to run the ball. But I also think they should open up some passing lanes and let Levi do what he does and just throw down the middle and and let him do his thing and be comfortable and confident in his passing in his passes. I think the passing game is going to be huge for, for this week to get to get some momentum going with the five-day turnaround going into Georgia State. Overall, I think the Cajuns win. Uh, 21 points seems kind of high as far as um, the spread. I still think they win by 21 points, ironically. I, I think they're gonna, I think it's about a 31-10 type score. Uh, Texas State just has too many flaws, too many injuries. Their, their roster's been turned over 25 times this year. And we'll talk to Brant, you know, uh, in the in the Behind Enemy Lines segment about it. But this should be a, a good, solid win. Hopefully a great crowd, even though it's an 11 o'clock kickoff. Good weather, um, great atmosphere overall. And the Cajuns will solidify, I think, another non-losing season. Because if they win seven games, that's considered a non-losing season, regardless of what happens the rest of the year and pretty much they get one step closer in clinching the West, or if they clinch the West this week, more power to them. Uh, Cajuns, 31-10. I
0: love it. Um, What I would love to see is – look, we own Texas State. They've never beaten us. That's a a fact. I don't see them coming to Cajun Field and beating us, not with this team, not with this coach. I would love to see the game be over at halftime. I would love to see Nate kick about six field goals. I would love to see Levi just – throw some daggers and have a seat on the bench and just take a load off, see some Chandler Fields in the second half, see what he can do, what he's capable of. Uh, Not because I want him to be the starter before everybody gets on their high horse, just because I want to see what he can do in a real game situation for a prolonged period of time. Uh, At the end of the day, we need a quarterback for next year. So I would love to see all that, Um, and I expect us to. to I would lay the number for the first time this year. I'm going to take a big spread, and I would lay the number for the Cajuns, and I'm going on on record official pick right there. So everybody, stay tuned. We're going to bring on Brant, ask him some questions. Maybe he'll educate us about a few things. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back.
2: Bye. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337- 851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Shilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Shilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Shilling Service's over 1500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area employing 160 Ragin Cajun residents and they boast over 1400 years of combined experience corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today
0: Appreciate everybody being patient. You know how it is. We got to pay the bills around here. Uh, hope everyone will join me in welcoming back friend of the pod, Texas State alum and ESPN Plus broadcaster for the mighty Bobcats, Mister Brant Freeman. Brant, welcome back, and we certainly appreciate you joining us.
3: Yeah, you got it. I uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. You know, I, I enjoy getting to um, you know jump onto these podcasts and uh, and you know talk. Texas State with anybody, and certainly with um, you know with, with the folks there in Lafayette, you know, representing Louisiana, the Russian Cajuns. Uh, no matter the sport, I know the, uh, the the support there is incredible for for the Cajuns there in Lafayette, and looking forward to the game on Saturday.
0: Same, and uh, Jerry's with us, so I just want to let everybody know that we are with Jerry. We've had a couple of different changes. We've got a pretty strict format around here when we do interviews and our certain uh, uh episode lineups throughout the week. And But recently, with all the shakeups, life's changing a little bit for everybody, so we're having to get creative. Uh, we, we've had different people sit out. So, Jerry, go ahead and jump in whenever you're ready,
1: bud. Brent, welcome aboard. Uh, thank you for coming on today. Looking forward to uh, the matchup on Saturday against the Bobcats. Uh, man, I don't know about you guys, but, man, we're getting some of the weather from uh, from San Marcos. Uh, did you guys have a front that just came in? Because I think we're getting it right now in Lafayette.
3: Yeah, it it rained, you know, uh, pretty hard in the day. It hasn't been too cold here, Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to what to the the game day temperatures on Saturday. I thought it was going to be around 75. Beautiful day there in Lafayette. Are y'all seeing something else?
1: Supposed to be a little bit lower, actually.
0: It's in the 50s Hmm. at 11 a.m., and that is what I care about.
3: That's that's
1: what we call football weather, right? Yes, indeed. Exactly. And we've been talking about that for the past few days with this front coming in. And uh, look, that gives you the opportunity. You know what that means in Cajun country, right? Gumbo weather, man. I
3: I, I I thought that's where you're going with that, but I didn't want to jump to conclusions and just be like <laughs> way off. So I'm glad you said it first and weren't waiting for you to answer.
0: Yep. So Brent, what we like to do here is we, we do our best to kind of capture the whole picture and overview of programs in our league and programs that we compete with. So mm-hmm. I want to start. And, you know, obviously we've had you on before and we, we have a good understanding of your history at Texas State. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of right now, what is the feeling and the health of the program, the athletic program as a whole over in San Marcos? How's the AD situation shaking out for you guys? And anything you'd like to add about just the overall feeling of support? Uh, in San Marcos and going forward with Texas State, especially now that we've got some new members in the league mm-hmm. and the Sunbelt Conference is growing and moving forward?
3: Well, obviously there's there's been transition here. A new athletic director wasn't at outside hire. He was hired internally, Don Coriel, who has been in place for about 15 years uh, as the as a senior associate AD for external operations. So somebody who kind of dealt with, uh, you know, with marketing and sports information and, you know, and the public uh, perception, you know, Texas State. and So it's always been kind of front and center. And um, that's been a kind of a breath of fresh air a little bit. The previous AD, Larry Tice, was very behind the scenes and um, really wasn't one to engage a lot, you know, with the public. And and Don's been the opposite of that. So that's been great to see. There's been some uh, transparency, you know, from, from Don as well with, you know, with things and, Um, And so that's good, you know, uh, now there will be a new president of the university, Uh, you know, about a year from now, the current president we have, Denise Trout, who's been here since 2002, she will uh, officially retire in May, that'll be her last uh, month at Texas State, and then they'll go about, you know, finding her replacement and, you know, certainly the president AD relationship is an important one, so you know, I think that, that Don wants to make sure that athletics is in its best possible light by the time a new president comes in and they could be on the same page and, and have a good working relationship with one another. So um, you talk about your know, conference uh, realignment, you know, and, and obviously when the first domino fell with Texas and OU, it put everybody on right alert. You know, what's going to become of our conference? What about ourselves? Should we be putting ourselves in the best light possible to move anywhere? Um, and as we've all come to, to to find out now that after the SEC domino fell and the big 12 domino fell and the American domino fell, and now it's the Sunbelt. But I think Texas State really likes where they're at. Now, the expansion is is very uh, Eastern, you know, especially as far as Texas State is concerned. You're adding Old Dominion. Yeah, you're adding Southern Miss. Those are two official uh, additions. We, 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 of course, we know that Marshall and James Madison are, are waiting in the wings. And there's thought of, you know, UTA and Little Rock, what is their future? Neither program is football. So it, it appears that they'll probably no longer be members, you know, here a couple of years from now. And that will put us, Texas State, on an island. There is some concern about that a little bit. That um, Now, UTA didn't have football before anyway, so we were on an island for that sport to begin with, but um, no longer a travel partner for basketball, baseball, any of the Olympic sports. And and no other, you know, team in Texas to kind of you know build a, a rivalry with. So we're the lone dog in the state of Texas, kind of deal. Um, so there's kind of the unknown about that, but but excited about the new members. I, I personally, I feel all four are great fits um, for for the Sun Belt. The Southern Miss is a great baseball ad. Um, you know, James Madison kind of is in that same mold of Appalachian State and uh, Georgia Southern. Being these great FCS programs make the jump up to the Sun Belt, so they have a, a good foundation for football. The softball team was in the World Series. You know, Marshall has a lot of football tradition. Um, you know, Old Dominion's kind of the the unknown because we're not very familiar with them. I think anybody in the Sun Belt geographically, um, but you know, excited about what they could bring. So, you know, uh, I think Texas State just wants to you know continue to have its identity within the Sun Belt. And they've been a great addition since they came in, you know, in 2013 in terms of the Olympic sports. The women's sports specifically have been great for the conference, softball, volleyball, uh, track and field specifically. The men's basketball team won a conference championship this past year. Baseball is two years removed from its conference championship. Um, But the elephant in the room is football. Uh, Texas State, this first couple of years in the Sun Belt, was playing pretty well. Six and six in year one, seven and five in year two. Since then, it's been a struggle, you know, and, and certainly to, um, you know, to have a presence in the conference, that's a sport that has, you know, got to step up its game.
1: You know, I just wanted to add something real quick, Brent. Uh, you were talking about how geographically um, Texas State will really be the, the lone dog in, in Texas, and this is more of a, a candid. Uh, I'm being a little facetious here, but you know, look, the other option is you can always become travel partners with Tarleton State and go to Conference USA, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> well, look, we're we're enjoying this right now. I don't know about you guys having to be in the. Sh- yeah, I mean, look, you're you're right by Austin. You got to be in the shadow, mm-hmm. I'm sure, of of Texas, right. just like we're in the shadow of LSU. But with the conference realignment going on in Texas. Um, it's interesting because for us, uh, with the whole thing with Louisiana Tech sort of getting left behind, we're right. kind of milking that, if you will. Sure. And uh, one of the main schools in Texas has, that's been talked about it are either Sam Houston State and Tarleton State. So, uh, you know, if you do need a travel partner and you don't like the Sunbelt, I, <laughs> I guess that's another option.
3: <laughs> I'll, I'll pass. You know, again, <laughs> I, I love the Sunbelt. You know, yeah. I, I love going to Lafayette. You know, I love being able to go to the East Coast. Um, I think the programs are great. And if there's if there's some concern about being on a Texas island, um, I don't know if this is the best comparison, but you can look at Texas A&M and the SEC. Now, they're yeah. about to have a partner, probably one they don't want, but they're about to have a partner, you know, in, te- uh, you know, in the University of Texas. But when they joined the SEC, that they were the only Texas team in there and they seem to be a pretty good fit to the SEC. So, you know, it, it can be done. I think that the Texas State is an important uh, 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 program for the Sunbelt for a number of reasons. One, we're easy to get to in San Marcos. You know, you can fly into Austin or San Antonio. It's a good college town. Um, and I think a lot of the schools want to recruit Texas. And so when you make your trips into San Marcos, right there you have easy access to your recruiting trips to, to go and find mind talent in this state. And again, the other sports, the Olympic sports have been very good for the conference You know, Texas State has been in the running in the top three or four of the commissioner's cup each of the last five or six years. And so um, they bring a lot to the table. So, I mean, like uh, there's not a lot of, you know, short bus rides. Sure. You know, but like I I I don't think that that's too much of a problem for 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 Texas State to think about leaving. Uh, I think that they're very happy where they're at right now. Uh, the Sunbelt is, is quickly becoming the best group of five conference in the nation. Um, and so I think Texas State wants to be a part of that instead of one, you know, uh, uh, you worried about, again, the, the lack of a travel partner, uh, embrace, you know, uh, the conference for what it is now. And, and I think there's a lot of excitement actually here about the additions and what the conference is going to look like in a couple of years.
0: I think it's important for everybody out there to understand what you just said is so important to the league, your recruiting footprint is very desirable. And Mm -hmm. for me, uh, having Texas state be viable in other sports is, is great, but it's not only just your football team and how much success you guys experience in the belt. It's other teams going into Texas and having that stronghold to be able to recruit. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is, that's a very under discussed thing with Texas state, but on the football. Okay. I got a bone to pick with Texas state football. Sure. When we first started doing this, I had, I unfortunately got kind of branded with the hot takey mantra. You know, I, I was okay. too hot takey. So I've been trying to get away from the hot takey stuff. But the last two years I expected Texas state to sneak up and bite people. And you almost helped me out with BC last year. You were competitive with, was it No, Baylor was this year there, there was an, there was another P5 team that you guys were extremely competitive with last year, or maybe the prior. Uh, I, I look at your schedule and I go, all right, competitive throughout. It was 14 to 10 at halftime with Baylor this year. Mm-hmm. Then you go beat FIU, which at the time, we didn't know they were going to be dog meat, but they ended up being bad. But regardless, it's a good out-of-conference win, okay, mm-hmm. on paper. And then we go into Incarnate Word and we lose. And, of course, I got – absolutely shelled on social media and that you know hey texas state they're coming baby they're coming i was like look to me i i bought into the hype and i bought into the folks that i mean national folks like like phil Steele, who thought spavitol's doing it the right way he's building Mm -hmm. it with from within he's 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 overturning that lineup over time that roster over time what happened at the beginning of this season It's a great question, you know,
3: because you're right Uh, last year, the team finished two and 10, but it was a very competitive two and 10, you know, they, they led that Boston college game throughout the first time. Boston college led was when they kicked the game winning field goal with four seconds to go. Um, they should have beaten UTSA who Louisiana played in the bowl in a bowl game later that year, if not for a missed extra point at at the end of regulation, they win that game. We see where UTSA is now with a lot of the same players. Um, They played SMU to seven point game last year, if not for a horrendous roughing the passer call, uh, they should have beaten Georgia Southern a year ago. Um, So, you know, it was a they were probably, you know, just a few bounces of the ball away from being a five and 17. Now, I know when you look at way, Louisiana, you know, uh, plays in coastal Carolina. Uh, five and seven didn't sound all that great, but keep in mind, Texas State hasn't won more than three games since 2014, so five wins would be a massive improvement, and so there was a lot of expectation for this year to be one in which Texas State would contend for a bowl game. They would be that sneaky team in the West and maybe give Louisiana a run a little bit And the, the opening game against Baylor. Great crowd, 28,000 there. Baylor turns out it's a pretty good football team. They're playing really well. And it was a it, it was a nine-point loss, but really a one-possession game, kind of a fluke safety at the end is the reason why they lost by nine. They go to FIU, as you said, win that game in overtime. And, and road wins been tough for the program to come by. So that it kind of felt like maybe that was the um the corner, the, the turning corner moment for them. So come home, you're about to be two and one for the first time in eight years, because you have an FCS opponent. This should be, a, you know, uh, a breeze. Well. You know, UIW is a good, it's a good FCS team. They're probably going to win the Southland. They have a quarterback who shouldn't be there. He's a, he's a Walter Payton type of guy. He could probably play anywhere. And Texas State ran into massive COVID issues. So they, they were down 24 players going into the game, lost to 25th in the game because of targeting, um, and got beat, you know. And, and it was the first time that ever lost an FCS opponent since they made the move up. And it was, you know, it was very deflating. Because again, this you felt like, all right, non-conference at worst should come out of it two and two, and you know, maybe even three and one, and here we go. Didn't happen. And the COVID issues uh, lingered on into the next week at Eastern Michigan um, and got blown out. They were down 21 players, they lost by 38 points. So they were limping into Sunbelt play. But then they opened conference play with a come from behind win over South Alabama, a Jaguar team, which was very close to being 4-0 coming in, if not for a missed field goal against the Cajuns. And so, again, you feel like, all right, you know, tough end to not conference play, but here we go. And, and, you know, in Sunbelt play, we'll be all right. And they played Troy so well for three quarters. Maybe the best three quarters they put together all season. And then they can't stop turning the ball over in the fourth. Um, wind up losing that game. And, and, and then, you know, I think some of that lingered on into the next week against Georgia State. And so story this season is that so much momentum, so the expectations so much higher, you know, going into September and here they are again, near the end of October, limping in at two and five with a very difficult game coming up this weekend. It's frustrating, you know, Matt, you know, for the program, they're on their third coach since their last winning season. You know, I think Jake Spavitol has done some really good things and I truly believe he could be the guy. Um. Circumstances have, you know, have have uh, reared their ugly head, and and um, it's still a program that's struggling to find ways to win games, and they just can't quite seem to, you know, just rid themselves of that stench of being a losing program, and it's very frustrating.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because I, I'm I'm with Josh on this. I always saw Texas State being kind of that surprise and upcoming team, and, and all of the resources are there. Uh, as you know, Brent, the facilities, you're in Texas, you've got the athletes. I mean, look, I, I watch, I've watch. i watched a few of your games this year, and you're in just about every game. Um, mm-hmm. The I watched, I really and then really I watched most of the Incarnate Word game. I was like, oh, they're going to come back in the second half, and Incarnate Word, they just, I mean, they couldn't stop Incarnate Word's offense. And then I didn't realize until after the game that you had lost 25 guys. And then I was like, okay, well, it's more understandable than if you had a full healthy team. Um, but still, uh, no, you're right. It's, it's, it's a, it's a mystery, but look, we've been there, done that. Um, in the past, uh, we were there about 10, 15 years ago. Could, you know, we'd win five or six, five or six games, but couldn't get over that hump, you know, it's, and and we would lose one or two games on a bad break, you know, or one turnover or one missed field goal. So, um, I can definitely relate to you, man. I, I totally get it. And I think you guys are very close, extremely close. But with that, um, Jake Spavitol, uh, third season as head coach. Right now, he's at a 7-24 record. Um, two and record. You're 2-5 and right now. You know, I have to ask, I know there was, there's expectations within the program, but knowing that he pretty much has, has – he's had to come in, basically rebuild the program from scratch, it's safe mm-hmm. to say. He's young. He's energetic. He's up and coming. Very smart coach. Is patience wearing thin with the Texas State fan base? Do they understand that maybe it might take him a little bit longer to try to rebuild? Is his is his is he on the hot seat? I mean, what 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 type of lee, uh, leeway has the fan base given him, and what type of leeway does he have now in the current predicament of of the program status?
3: I think it depends on which fans you ask. Certainly, um, you know, you guys know this college football and patience don't mix, right? You know, um, college football will drive fans crazy. I think that, you know, um, after Alabama got beat by a some people are calling for Nick Saban's job. You, there's no – it's really tough to please a fan base, you know. Um, and uh, – but you sympathize with them as well. You know, people who, uh, you know, work with and for the football program administration – are just as, as disappointed and just as frustrated as the fans are because 2014 was a long time ago, seven years ago the last time this 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 program had a winning season, you know and um and after Dennis Franchione left in 2015, Everett Withers came in and he kind of hit the reset button, you know so hey the 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 final year for for Dennis Franchione you know was a, a bad one. You know, there's uh, you know, there's a lot that, ne- that needs to be addressed with the programs, In comes ever withers cleans house, you know, with with uh, you know, with the roster, with with the staff and like us start, you know, from scratch and you know, first couple of years, I mean, it was awful football, just terrible. But you felt like this is part of the process to to rebuild. And then year three happens, all right, this is gonna be the turnaround, lost some tight games there at the beginning, and then there was no saving his job by by season's end. He was out. So they hit the reset button again with Jake Spavadol, you know, he doesn't inherit a great situation. This this was not a program which was going to be a quick fix. He wasn't going to come in, inherit, you know, a three and nine team and make them a nine and three team, you know? So, and so he wanted to bring in his own players, his own staff as well, you know? So year one was one that fans were willing to understand of being, you know, three and nine, it's going to take time. And last year, the Win-win-loss when, when record didn't get better, but the progress was there. Okay, year three, here we go, and, and yet here the team—you know—here they are now, two and five. And um, I don't know the temperature of, of, of the seat. You know, I mean, like I'm a firm believer in, in supporting whoever is there because if he wins, we all win, kind of thing. And and I've gotten to know Jake Spavord on a very personal level, and I, I think he he's a great football mind and does some really great things. But this is a bottom line business too, at the same time. Um, But, you know, if they were to make a change at the end of the season, if they don't win another game or whatever reason they decide to go a different direction, are you hitting the reset button again? And how many times can you do that? You know, or maybe maybe staying patient is, is is the approach to take here. I don't know. It's such a hard thing to answer because, you know, you you don't want to hit that reset button too much. You want to have your faith in a guy to give him the proper amount of time to build something you know, and um, uh, uh, and move forward, but, you know, fans are tired of, of losing as well. So we'll see what they stand at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, like, for example, right down the road from you, you have an, an 8-0 UTSA team. And, Don't we know it, yeah. Well, I, I say that, and I'm not, I, I mean, I'm being serious here. Like sure. I say that because you're in Texas, you've got mm-hmm. a hotbed full of talent, Um, Mm -hmm. And San Marcos, like you said, is an awesome place. I mean, let's be real. That whole corridor, there's so much to do. Great place to raise a family. Great college experience. So to me, I feel like at at Texas State, there's just one little, it's not even a big major issue. It's just, there's like, it's almost like in a car. You got to tweak some things here and there to get it going. I feel like that's where you guys are. Like there's just one or two things you have to tweak within the program. And it Mm -hmm. really, I, I think you're, it's almost like a ticking time bomb waiting to explode in a good way. Um, so no, I'm, it's, it's interesting, but I think, I mean, look, I'm telling you, I feel like you're right around the corner and it's scary because it's like Southern Miss right now. Right. Their fans are saying like, Hey, look, once we turn that corner, once coach Hall gets things going, watch out. That's where I feel like Texas state is. I mean, it's, it's that just that close. Right. I'm sure you guys feel it too. Yeah.
3: I mean, again, you look, you point to the success of the other programs and like, you know, people can win here. Our other programs have shown that. Yeah. Um, and and you're, you're right. You can't help but look down the road, you know, at, at UTSA. And, and there's been such a, uh, a long time rivalry between the two schools kind of, you know, that uh, goes back to when they were together in the Southland, namely in men's basketball. It's kind of carried over into football, but we don't play each other every year. But that said, even when they're not, you know, directly competing with each other on the field, they you know fans are certainly paying attention. And, um, and Texas State fans, there's a lot of envy what's going on in San Antonio right now. And you tip your cap to Jeff Traylor and the job that, that they have done and the program that they have built. Um, and, and, you know, Texas State fans have a desire to, to be that. And, and you're right. It's really hard to put your finger on as, as to why. Because, you know, it seems like an easy place to recruit to. You have a student body of close to 40,000. Uh, you're in that, that great corridors you referenced, you know, Austin and San Antonio, it's a beautiful campus. Um, the facilities are uh, incredible. Our football stadium is one of the better ones in the Sunbelt. When it fills out, the atmosphere there is remarkable, uh, as we saw in the in the opener against Baylor. Um, so it does feel like, you know, um, you guys ever go into a house and there's a light switch and you don't know where it goes to, where, where you, if you flick it and nothing turns on, you know, you just, you got to find out, like, you know, where, you know, what does that light switch go to? What What is it powering on? We're trying to find that light switch here. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, when, when, when we, when we turn it on, you know, that's when things are going to get figured out. So
1: I, I don't I know remember, if that was the best
3: analogy or not, but
1: no, uh, look, look, I'll say it like this. Obviously your program is valuable enough to where uh, for those, for those of you who are Friday night lights fans uh, that the, the college that coach Eric Taylor went to was Texas state stadium, I believe, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Uh,
3: yeah, you are correct. And they superimposed, you know, like, like another, uh, level to make it look like, which is there now. Right. (laughs) And the, uh, and the person who played the athletic director was our head coach at the time.
1: That is so cool. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. No, just a little fun fact for our fans listening in. So, um, if Texas state was the model Texas college where they put on the show. So, right. So, uh, but anyways, moving on, um, you know, coming into the season, uh, 18 returning starters, um, Now we're coming back to the Bobcats football team this year. I know you've had injuries, like you said, 25 guys out due to COVID protocol. Uh, You have a few key starters out now for the year, some of which are preseason. And we'll talk about that preseason all Sunbelt with the turnover of of roster uh, or with the roster turnover. um, How how has it made the roster complex? How has how has the experience? First of all, how is it complemented? The on-field performance, but also how has it, it negatively affected the on-field performance? Just with so many starters coming back, yet so many injuries at the same time.
3: Well, you know, uh, I'm willing to bet a lot of other programs can say the same thing. You know, I'll, I'll start. I'll start there. But you're right. You know, with uh, there have been a, a good number of returners back. You know, you look at the skill position specifically in offense. You know, you have a returner at quarterback and. Um, you return most of the receivers, uh, the, all, everybody in the backfield, all the running backs are back from last season. And defensively, some of their key players from a year ago are back, you know, on the defensive line at linebacker. Um, it's been an interesting mix this year. As, as many people know that the, the team recruited exclusively through the transport portal uh, this past year, coach Bavadol said before the season, had they gone the traditional high school route, and only the high school route, then 90% of the roster would have been freshmen and sophomores. While you play, you know, good programs in the Sunbelt Conference, and some of them have, you know, those super seniors on them, and, you know, uh, three- to four-year players, and it's tough to compete, you know, when you're playing with, uh, you know, freshmen and sophomores against rosters like that, so they brought in some ready-made players, you know, and um, some of it has worked out well, you know, some of it just hasn't. Uh, You know, I think that You know, the injuries and the the two weeks of COVID issues certainly uh, has hampered chemistry a little bit, I think, with the team. Um, And for the coaches, too, knowing where to plug in guys and stuff like that. They've been relegated to having to to play players out of position just to have bodies in certain positions. And um, so, yeah, you you look at the roster and uh, talent is there for sure. Um, but the injuries and the, and the, and the COVID problems those, those couple of weeks certainly had a, a big impact.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: go ahead, Jerry, my bad.
1: No, I was, I was going to say, I mean, any type of roster turnover, it's, yeah, with COVID protocol, is not a great mix. Right. Yeah, for
0: sure. Uh, I was just going to mention the, the situation at quarterback. You know, last year you had the on-again, off-again McBride injury. Tyler Vid comes in, wins a couple of games, that back and forth. McBride is the guy this year. You've, you've been able to keep him healthy to this point. He's had some high highs and some low lows. Um, he's been in the program three years now, correct?
3: Three years. He transferred in uh, in 2019 but was ruled uh, ineligible. Um, they, they tried to get away with the NCAA um, right. to, to allow him to, you know, to play right away coming in from Memphis, but that that was not uh, – that was denied. So
0: right. I thought that that was correct, uh, but he, he did transfer as a freshman, if I remember, because he's going he's gonna to end up being a super sophomore, right?
3: That is correct. Yeah, he okay. is a second-year sophomore right now.
0: So he's shown glimpses, and we all know he can play. I mean, I've watched a guy play a few games, and I was impressed. He's got skills. Um, what do you see in his evolution as a quarterback? Um, ha- have they tried to change his style at all to kind of limit the turnovers? He's my kind of quarterback in that he doesn't mind taking a risk you know, we mm-hmm. have a quarterback here that sometimes our fans can get a little frustrated with because we we don't take the risks that we think should be calculated and okay to take. Uh, I think McBride's maybe a little bit of the opposite of that. So it's an interesting juxtaposition there with the two quarterbacks. Just curious about how he's evolved and how he fits within that offense.
3: Well, you know, uh he is somebody who certainly does take risks. Um, he's kind of a Johnny Manziel light, you know, who's Jake Spavadol coach at Texas A&M, where he's going to, you know, gamble a little bit. He's going to want to go out there and make plays. Um, and sometimes he does a really great job of it. You know, uh, the pass protection has struggled so far this season. And so his ability to get out of the pocket, make plays on the run has been uh, necessary. If, if they had, you know, a, a pocket-type passer, I don't think they would last very long because the line just isn't able to protect long enough. Um, so Brady will out of, get out of the pocket and make plays. Um, and, you know, again, sometimes sometimes see the gambles pay off. He'll make some of these incredible throws, you know, incredible plays that make you think, like, this guy could be one of the better quarterbacks in Sun Belt, and then he'll throw balls right to defenders and make you feel as if he's the worst quarterback in the Sun Belt. Um, you have to take the good with the bad with Brady. He is who he is at this point. Um, you know, you like to think that some of those things would be cleaned up. Um, but, you know, he had back to back three interception games. And in both those games, the interceptions came consecutively, three straight possessions with interceptions. You know, and you, you look at those two games. We'll, we'll take that as an example. South Alabama, the interceptions came early, came all in the first half. As a result, they found themselves in a 24 to 10 hole. They come back and win that game in quadruple overtime because of Brady. He won that game. He played brilliantly in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And, and you know, and, and the team, you know, you know, was able to pull off the win against Troy. He turned in three great quarters, puts them in a position to win the game. They're up going into the fourth. And then three straight picks in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, they were in a position to lose against South Alabama, but won because of him. And then they were in a position to win against Troy, but lost because of him. Um, and that's just kind of been life with with uh, with Brady McBride so far. And so you just have to hope that um, uh, Mr. Hyde and not Jekyll so you get more, more often than
0: not. That is, that is an excellent microcosm of him. And you kind of get that feeling when you watch him play. In my research, I was looking over his numbers and, you know, a lot of it's, it kind of falls in the middle, but one thing that really sticks out and look, I don't understand how the hell they calculate the QBR, but it's 35. Mm -hmm. And that, that surprised me because in the times that you watch him, you say, man, this guy's got tools and, and you've watched him way more than Jerry and I, but uh, I did not know that about the Troy game. I had no idea that that's how it actually ended up going towards the end of that game. Wow. That hurts. Yeah. you,
3: You know, you look at that, at those interceptions and, um, So Texas State, one thing this program struggles with, and the record shows it, is learning how to win and close out games. Um, And I think, you know, the Troy game was kind of a microcosm of that. So through seven games this year, Texas State has had possession with the lead in the fourth quarter three times. Three possessions in the fourth quarter with the lead. All three ended in turnovers, which is incredible. So the Troy game, they have a 28-24 lead they are facing a third and 15, and McBride is late getting throwing into the passing window. Defender recovers, intercepts the ball. It, it, was, a, it was a play that Jake Spavadol was uh, okay with because it was essentially a punt. Uh, Troy still took over you know, on their end of the field. ended up a three and out, and then the defense you know, got the ball back. The next play, uh, there was a receiver who ran the route too deep on what was a crossing route. And there was also pressure that wasn't picked up by the offensive line. So Brady rushes his throw, what's supposed to be a timing pattern, because the receiver ran the, the, the crosser too deep, the defender was there not the receiver. Easy pick six for Troy. Still a throw Brady should not make, but that was the context behind that throw. And the last one was all on Brady. He gets pressured and on the rollout tries to throw the ball away. And if you're the quarterback, throw that ball into the next county. He throws that uh, not deep enough, and there's the, there is a defender at the sideline who easily intercepts it, and the, and the offense never got the ball back. There was six and happens to go in the game, never got the ball back. Um, and so you know that's kind of you know, just some of the context context behind the interceptions. But again, you know they were in position to win that game in the fourth quarter. And they didn't know how to close it out. And it's been a, a problem that has plagued them for far too long.
1: Preseason running back Calvin Hill. Mm-hmm. Seems like he's been a good workhorse on the offensive side of the ball. Still no touchdowns, but gets his carries. Uh, I'm looking at two receivers that stand out. Preseason all sunbelt. Marcel Barbie, 28 mm-hmm. catches, 300 yards, four touchdowns. One other skilled player that's kind of surprised us and uh, has really sticks out on the stat line Uh is it javin banks Javin. lead receiver javen javen banks 28 catches 427 yards and four touchdowns skill skill wise uh, with the type of offense that Jake spavato runs under the guide of uh, Brady mcBride who would you say to you is sort of the main who, who's the main guy really on that on that side of the ball sure
3: in, in the backfield is not a bell cow. Um, they'll rotate three running backs in, you know, Calvin Hill seems to get the bulk of the carries, but, you know, I don't think any back will ever see more than 12 or 13 in a game. Um, so you look at the receiver position, you know, and Barbie had a lot of the preseason hype for good reason, had 10 touchdown catches last year, which ranked seventh nationally. Um, and he is four this season, which is tied with Banks, for the team lead. Um, Banks seems to be the big play guy and the offense needs more explosive plays. Uh, because at times like it, it just, you know, I did, I did some research on this early in the season. I think at one point they had 10 scoring drives, nine of them took 10 plays or more, you know, and that means you, you got to be near perfect in each of those drives to execute all those plays, you know, and that's more opportunities for the defense to make a play of their own where you hit the home run one, two plays, you're in the end zone kind of thing. And, um, and Banks has turned into that guy for them when they need a big play, they could turn to him. 57-yard touchdown, third play of the game against South Alabama, had a 75-yard score against Troy the following week. And of his 16 career touchdowns, six have covered 50 yards or more. So he's the big play threat. Not that Marcel Barbie isn't capable of big plays like that, but he's more of a possession receiver, for lack of a better term, but does that job very well. So uh, if you're asking who was the go-to guy, I, w- I would put those two at the center of that conversation. Barbie and Banks complement one another very well. They're so good at times they'll draw double teams, which opens up the field for the slot receiver, for the running backs, you know, for other skilled players. It's not a team that utilizes a tight end very much in the passing game, so you're not going to see a lot going there. Uh, again, the running backs be hard pressed to have a hundred yard you know uh, a game kind of guy because of the lack of carries all three get. So I would highlight Barbie and Banks for sure.
0: Now, defensively, and we Mm -hmm. didn't really – we weren't really specific on where the injuries in particular and the the COVID issues have hit, Uh, and maybe I've passed over some names, but I know you guys lost a a big-time defensive lineman, playmaker for you guys, Nico Isidore. Is it Isidore or Isidore. Isidore. All right. Good deal. I'll keep that in mind. And then Jaron Morris is out, which we're very familiar with Uh, both Sunbelt conference, uh, all, all preseason conference selections. Mm -hmm. Who is, has there been anybody other than uh, Markevian Coleman to step up and obviously he leads the team in tackles, but is there anybody else on defense that's really made a name for themselves, you know, going into the season outside of the COVID issues and the injuries Mm-hmm. everybody expected this to be a defense that Jake Spavadol was going to be able to hang his hat on. This is going to be right. the best unit that, that they've ever had in three years. So just, just curious about that and how that's worked out for the defense.
3: Well, you know, you, you look up front and a player they didn't have last year that is back this year, Savion Patton, veteran guy, uh, all-conference caliber player, was honorable mention all-league back in 2019, Having him back this season has been big. Although COVID got him, he he didn't play in the UIW game, and that was a massive loss for that game. And played very sparingly against Eastern Michigan, uh, as he was, you know, just getting back from COVID. Um, you mentioned Nico Ezador, You know, he and Jordan Rebels also at defensive uh, on the defensive line. You know, are, are two key players. Um, Isaiah Nixon has probably been the player that surprises the most. Um, was kind of a part time you know, player and linebacker a year ago, but it's turned into their best pass rusher, you know, uh, very disruptive, somebody who, you know, attacks the ball really well. Uh, He's been good, but it's also a lot has been asked of him Um, as the backup behind him, Lennon Harris developed a staph infection uh, after the Baylor game and um, lost 35 pounds because of it. So it took him a while to get the weight back on, get back to his conditioning and be ready to play again. Um, you mentioned Markavian Coleman. He's been a, you know, a veteran presence in there as well. Another player who's really stood out has been Sione Tupo, um, uh who plays a linebacker. He was a Sunbelt's Defensive Player of the Week uh, after the uh, win over South Alabama. It was the first time the Bobcats had a Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Week in four years. Uh, Fourteen ta- tackles that day. Uh, he forced and recovered the fumble. Um, that uh, ultimately helped win the game in the second overtime, broke up a pass in the third overtime as well. He's been big. The secondary is made up of almost exclusively transfers. You, know, you mentioned Jaron Morris, you know, who's out for the season, suffered an injury in the open against Baylor. Not having, a, not having him out there certainly had uh, a, a negative impact on the team. Uh, they brought in D.C. Williams from Vanderbilt. He's been you know, starting corner all year long. Uh, Troy Leffridge which you never would never guess that was pronunciation of his name when looking at it has been one of their top tacklers the safety position you know he's he's been on some important plays this year um so that's kind of a look at the defense I'd say that the, you're, you're asking for players that have surprised in a good way I would say Nixon and uh Seone have been two that really stood out
0: love it uh I guess we'll stay away from the uh, players that have surprised in a negative way. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, No, you guys had a top 30 special teams unit last year. Um, Really, uh, you know, special teams is something that people don't talk a lot about. We do because we've seen here in Lafayette how special teams can completely change a game. So Mm -hmm. I like to to at least highlight it and ask the, the question to anybody that we interview. Um, it's uh, Seth Keller. Looks like he did a great job, nine to 10 on the season. Mm-hmm. And then Seamus O'Kelly, obviously, uh, another all conference selection. Uh, is everything basically in line for special teams? Is your kick coverage where it needs to be? Uh, is anything good or bad coming from the special teams units as a whole?
3: I think special teams have been fine. You know,
0: now last year they had a very dynamic return specialist in
3: Jeremiah Haydell, uh, who could have returned for a super senior year but elected to go to the NFL, which you know, obviously, you know, it's a great opportunity for him to you know, move on in his career and make some money. Lasted a while in the preseason. I think it was one of their final cuts.
0: Yeah. And if I could real season. quick, literally made two or three of the most incredible catches last year that I have ever personally seen. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So um, he was a great receiver, too, on top of return specialist. They haven't had anybody like that. Uh, the uh, the role of Palmer Turner has kind of been uh, a carousel. A little bit for them, and unfortunately, their top kick returner, Donovan Moore, who had some good moments this year—not quite Haydale moments, but good moments—out for the season now uh, suffered a season-ending injury against Georgia State this past weekend in Atlanta. Um, the kickers have been fine. Seamus O'Kelly, as you mentioned from uh, from uh, from Australia, you know, has um, you know been solid as a punter. And, and Seth Keller has been a very steady kicker. The only miss he had this year almost cost him the game as he missed in the second overtime against South Alabama. But beyond that, very dependable kicker. Um, again, the return game, not anything special, not compared to a year ago. Kick coverage has been fine for the most part. Jacob Bates has been placing the ball in the end zone for touchbacks. Teams not electing to take it out. So they haven't been tested too much, you know, in the kick return coverage. So special teams has not been the issue, you know, for the team this year they did have a moment in the UIW game where a turnover on special teams helped, you know, cost them the game, uh, but wasn't directly the reason why. So, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, when you look at the two and five record, you know, if you're trying to identify what, what are the issues, special teams is not one of them.
1: Big game coming up this weekend. I know there's a lot on the line for Texas state. It's one of those games where it's almost kind of like a must win, um, and same for the Cajuns. I mean, this is gives the Cajuns an opportunity to get one step closer to clinching the West. Um, mm-hmm. So my question is, what will it take for Texas State? What are the keys to victory for the Bobcats to come into Lafayette and get the win?
3: I hate to say this about any team, but I think it applies. They have to play a perfect game. I mean, that's you know that it's hard to live up to that. You know, um, but Louisiana is so talented. The Cajuns can afford to make mistakes and win despite them. Texas State is not in a position to do, to do that. They're not talented enough to get away, you know, with with making mistakes. Look at that that Troy game. You know, Texas State committed four or uh, committed four turnovers, lost by just three points. Um, so, so, but again, so they, they made mistakes and they lost. You know, where Troy was talented enough, um, where they they you know they were able to win a game like that. Um, but getting back to Saturday, you know, Louisiana has had their number. Texas State has yet to beat the Cajuns in Lafayette or in San Marcos. Nobody in the West has beaten Louisiana since the conference uh, divided up into Eastern and Western divisions. They are the flag bearers of the West Division and favorites, you know, uh, to to win the West again and, and perhaps win another conference championship. You know, uh, as I assume there will be a conference championship game played this year, but. <laughs> Um, but anyways, you know, Louisiana is so well coached by Billy Napier. Um, there's a lot of veteran talent, you know, Levi Lewis, it feels like he's been there for 10 years, a quarterback you know, Chris Smith is such an explosive running back. We all saw that 99 yard touchdown run for the Cajuns and the win over Arkansas state, you know, and defensively, they're just so big you know, on that side of the ball that said, you know, um, they're not invincible South Alabama and Arkansas state prove that where there was you know, two Western Division teams which have typically struggled, especially Arkansas State this year, and it was a one-point game in um, you know, Jonesboro and South Alabama, if not for a missed field goal or uh, a, a missed play at a fourth and goal opportunity in Mobile, maybe they win that game too. So um, now both those games are on the road, much tougher to win in Lafayette. Um, but Texas State's got to be close to flawless. They can't turn the ball over. They can't commit untimely penalties. They can't drop passes. Um, you know, and, and any oper- and any mistakes the Cajuns make that got to capitalize on them. Uh, if they don't, they're not going to be able to win a game like this.
0: Brent, we appreciate you letting us hold you hostage for a little while. Uh, are you going to be on the TV call on Saturday? Well, actually, no. That's
3: a national tele- uh, That game will be nationally televised on the that's ESPN- true. U. That's true. Uh, so uh, I will not be on the crew, but I certainly will be watching. You know, and, and watching in anticipation, you know, um, uh, again, I, I love to, to watch the Bobcats and Cajuns, you know, go at it in any, any sport. I mentioned again way earlier in our conversation, Texas State being on kind of an island. And so like rivalries almost have to be manufactured. There's not an organic one for them. And, and, and if anything were to ever develop in Louisiana, I see it being a friendly one. I don't see there being a lot of bad blood between the two schools or these two programs specifically. Um, but it'd be nice to have, you know, have a nice competitive game and maybe have something come of it, you know, could, 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 you know, the West over the years be decided between the Bobcats and Cajuns, how great would that be? So, you know, a nice competitive game on Saturday would, would go a long way to maybe developing something like that down the road.
0: Yeah. We got a taste of that in baseball and it was pretty fun. And I always like going to San Marcos. I think it's a great area. It's, it's a fun trip. It's not too bad. And, uh, the nightlife is fun. Food's great. So, anyway, listen, we really appreciate the time, man. Uh, I, we totally understand your frustrations. We were there for what felt like 50 years. A very so. long
1: time. Yes, uh, very long we, time. We, we totally so we, we, we know. <laughs> you.
0: If you don't mind, tell the people where they can find you and uh, check out your content, listen to your calls.
3: Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, on Twitter, I can be found at Grant underscore Freeman. Um, and then uh, any Texas State home athletic event, you know, uh, is put on ESPN Plus, virtually all of them, not just football and men's basketball, but, you know, baseball as well, softball, volleyball. And so, you know, if you tune in to watch, I'm, you know, more often than not, going to be the voice that you hear. I've covered a number of Cajun events in San Marcos on ESPN Plus. Uh, Louisiana's volleyball team was here recently, got a big win in San Marcos. Um, Basketball last year, we had two incredible games between the Cajuns and Bobcats on the men's side in st marcus one in which uh louisiana got a gift on an inbound steal you know for a a layup right before the buzzer which was really exciting finish so um that's how you can find me
0: good deal jerry say bye
1: bye (laughs) no brant seriously though no seriously thank you for coming on and discussing uh the current situation with texas state football and texas state athletics and and hopefully uh, we can talk to you really soon. Look, we, we, we all take our diamond sports seriously, whether it's in San Marcos or, uh, or Lafayette. So we hope to have you on uh, for the next time around. I think we owe you a trip to San Marcos for baseball this year. Yeah. You do. Hopefully, and, and hopefully it's not as bad as last year for us. All right.
3: No, I, I, look, <laughs> I look forward to it and happy to visit with you guys anytime.
0: All right, Brent. Thanks for the info. Take care, bud. No problem. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Always appreciate the support. Go have a great time. Get your coffee and your beignets before you go out to the field. Get there before the game starts. Go into the game, and then we're going to do the reverse tailgate thing, which I think we made up, but should be interesting. I understand that there's some music and food, and even Billy Napier said on Louisiana Live that he was going to reverse tailgate. I assume that is only with a win. Uh, so let's let's hope for a victory and let's go have a good time. Happy homecoming and as always, go Cajuns.